Welcome everybody back to the Smart to Zero podcast presented by Steel Post Media. I am your host, Alex Fanebecker, and thank you for checking me out over at steelpostmedia.com. Just a reminder, you can support me on Twitter at SmartGetAZero. Uh, Steel Post Media's founder, Oz Marley, is at Steel Post Media. And my fellow Steel Post Media contributor, Dallas Barnes, is at AllWrestling420. We're looking forward to expanding our content, so please keep your eye on the feeds for polls and questions, and don't forget to give us your feedback. Also, as always, a big thank you to Noah Carroll at Noah7BC for our music. I also I wanted to give a very special shout-out this week to a new friend of the program, uh, Rusty in North Carolina. Uh, Rusty was going through his uh, wrestling magazine's uh, old memorabilia he had, and he was thoughtful enough to send me some new reading materials. So in the past few weeks, he sent me uh, Wrestling World magazine, the February 1954 issue, with a cover story on Luthez and Leo Nomalini on the cover. Uh, very cool read there. I'm still going through that. Uh, he sent me The Ring, Wrestling Magazine, the June 1964 issue. Wrestling Review from February 1970, the All-Star issue. Uh, the Pro Wrestling Torch Annual from summer, uh, the summer of 1991. Uh, the Pro Wrestling Torch Yearbooks from 93 and 94. Uh, the National Wrestling Alliance novel, The Untold Story of the Monopoly That Strangled Pro Wrestling by Tim Hornbaker. And finally, Front Row Section D, The Glory Days of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling by John Hitchcock. I can't wait to dive into these. And Rusty, thank you so much for thinking of me. In my last episode, I talked about something that Dallas Barnes clued me into, uh, namely a tape study for 30 challenge, in which essentially you make a list of 30 of your favorite wrestlers. You watch one match that's about 15 minutes, or at least 15 minutes long, and you report on it. You take notes, you give your impressions, and you have a good time with it. And I gave my first seven last week. I'll run through those briefly. The first one, of course, is Buddy Landell. And I've really, I've really developed an appreciation for him in the matches that I've seen on Mid-South TV that we've been covering together here. Uh, this match will be the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Super Bowl of Wrestling versus Shawn Michaels. Uh, that's on YouTube. You're going to hear this one today before we jump into the Mid-South Wrestling TV, TV episode. I've got my good friend and, and, and uh, previous guest host for this Market Zero podcast, Jeff, helping me out on the watch-along there. Uh, next, I'll be covering William Regal. I'm looking at the uh, Uncensored 96 match versus Fit Finley. Uh, we've got the Steiner Brothers coming up in the near future. Halloween Havoc 90 versus the Nasty Boys. Uh, Steve Austin, I'm looking at the WCW Starkey 93 versus Dustin Rhodes. Two out of three falls for the U.S. title. Uh, number five, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And right now it looks like it'll be the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer dog collar match. And that one's going to be on YouTube. Kenny Omega from the G1 Climax 27 versus Okada. That might actually change given recent events, but uh, I will keep you updated on what we're going to cover there. And the seventh match will be Lance Storm, uh, ECW Anarchy Rules 99 versus Jerry Lynn. And uh, I'll keep revealing new matches as we cover these, but the idea is you'll get one match with every episode, unless that match goes really long or the conversation really takes off, and then we'll break it off into a bonus show. So with that, let's jump into our first match on the list. From Smoky Mountain Wrestling's Super Bowl of Wrestling show on August 4th, 1995, from the Knoxville Civic Center in Knoxville, Tennessee. As I said, this match pitted WWF champion, Intercontinental champion, I should say, Shawn Michaels, against Buddy Landell. And Buddy Landell is accompanied to the ring by Camo Jim Cornette. 
Now, uh, something to keep note here, Jeff and I had a few drinks, enjoyed the hell out of this match, and I hope you do too. You can find this on YouTube by searching Shawn Michaels versus Buddy Landell with one L, and the first result should have a runtime of 14 minutes, 59 seconds. Go ahead and get set. I'll give you the cue for the play when it's time. Enjoy. And here we are. We are in sunny Superior, Wisconsin. Where on the second day of June, it is 40 degrees and raining like crazy. The police department has said, if it's any colder, it will snow. It's fucking June, people. That's ridiculous. So what do you do when it's cold as hell in Superior? You watch wrestling. And what we're doing today is I've got my friend Jeff Landis with me. Say hi to the folks, Jeff. Hi to the folks, Jeff. <laughs> and, <laughs> we're, doing, uh, we're doing something I talked about on my last episode here. We're, we're doing the tape study for 30 that uh, Dallas Barnes clued me into. And the first superstar on my watch list was Buddy Landell. And uh, I hadn't heard of Buddy Landell uh, much past just his name before starting the Mid-South series. Jeff, had you heard of, heard of Buddy much at all before this? Uh, the name is familiar, but I don't know really anything about him, unfortunately. But I will soon. And you'd actually be surprised because I know you've seen him wrestle. I probably uh, have. He, 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 did, he actually did some job work, work kind of like Mike Sharp. Where it's like, that's the name you know, yep. and then you realized you watched him as a jobber on WWF. Yeah. I say jobber like a dick, but I'm sorry. Um, I like Iron Mike Sharp. Though. Me too. Me too. His Mid-South stuff is really good too. He's... Well, just watching him as being a enhancement talent in the WWF, you could tell he had a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. That's probably why they had him there for so long, but... Never really worked out. So. Well, yeah, you could. He wasn't. He wasn't just a local guy. They brought in to have somebody slap around. He yeah, was, he was. He was fun to watch. Yep. So uh, the match that we're looking at, of course, is Buddy Landell, and one of the rules for this tape study for thirty was you wanted to try to get as close to fifteen minutes or as close to being over fifteen minutes as you could. And I wanted to do the Buddy Landell Ric Flair match, the Battle of the Nature Boys, but it wasn't very long, at least not in the clips that I could find. So what we're looking at here is Buddy Landell taking on Shawn Michaels for the WWF Intercontinental Championship at the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Super Bowl of Wrestling back on August 4th, 1995. And I feel like a bad wrestling fan because I wasn't even aware of this event back in 95. I don't know, Jeff, did you know any? Not at that time because I was just a kid. So Yeah, we would have been, like, what, know. 13 back then? But I've heard of it, never, never actually watched it. And now it's, uh, I went onto the network to try to find it. Didn't have any luck. The Smoky Mountain collection on the network is sparse at best. Um, but the card was really interesting. So it's, I'm just going to run down the matches here, and then we'll jump into the, the buddy match. But um, the first match was Brian Armstrong. Of course, that's uh, Road Dog taking on D'Lo Brown. And we've got... Uh, the Headbangers taking on Chris Michaels and Flash Flanagan. PG-13, which actually cracked me up when I read this because I remember PG-13 showing up on Monday Night Raw a few times when they were doing the uh, the uh, crossover events. Like when they'd have Dan Severn come on as the NWA champion and they had like the Rock and Roll Express and the new Midnight new Express. Midnight Express. <laughs> and uh, I remember PG-13 and going back and watching it to see PG-13 after, of course, seeing Public Enemy and, and all, you know, in ECW and all of this. 
it was a good uh, version. Right, right, right. These guys were. It was like watching a Jamie Kennedy movie. <laughs> And uh, straight out of Malibu. Just a waste of everyone's time. Yes. And uh, they took on Curtis Thompson and Jackie Fulton for the USWA Tag Championship. The Punisher took on Bob Armstrong. Al Snow took on Marty Jannetty. Dan Severn uh, took on Bobby Blaze for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Terry Gordy and Tommy Rich took on Boo Bradley and the Mongolian Stomper. And of course, like we talked about earlier, Boo Bradley. At this point, would be a fairly young Balls Mahoney. Balls. 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 <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if there were any chair shots that drove somebody through the mat there. Uh, we had Brad Armstrong. So it's a, this is just an Armstrong family reunion here. Digging on Billy Jack Haynes. <laughs> Billy Jack. Billy Jack. Uh, the Undertaker took on Unabomb. <laughs> and, uh, no relation to the criminal. <laughs> no, no. This was... Uh, Oh, what the hell was his name? Ted Kaczynski. Is that right? Yeah, that yeah, is right. That yep. right. Yeah, this was that. not Ted Kaczynski. This was, uh, this was in fact, Kane, if I'm not mistaken. It's um, got to be Kane. Of course, it's got to be Kane. <laughs> and of course it was, taking a break from his Christmas creature duties. And uh, Heavenly Bodies took on the Dirty White Boy and Tracy Smothers. And then, of course, the match we are going to watch, which came to about 13 minutes, just just under 14 minutes. So we're gonna let, we're gonna count it anyway. Shawn Michaels taking on Buddy Landell with the WWF Intercontinental Championship on the line. So this, I mean, this has to be during the crossover. This has to be when you, we're seeing Dan Severn show up on WWF TV and all this. Yeah, that didn't last all that long, did it? No, no, it, it, I it didn't. It, but I don't think it lasted. It, it it should have. I mean, it could have been a lot better. You know, I mean, I remember being excited when I watched those episodes as a kid. Thinking, oh my gosh, that's awesome. There's, you know, it's the NWA. And of course, you know, being a kid, not really understanding that it's not really, you know, this isn't Jim Crockett. This isn't, you know, really um, what most people would consider the NWA heavyweight championship. This is it's a shell of its former NWA self and championship junior right 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 so uh so to find the match we had to jump onto youtube and uh if you just search buddy landell versus Shawn michaels it's going to be one of your first results uh you will see the timer on the bottom of the screen i'm actually kind of scared to see what this video quality is going to look like but uh we're going to check it out. I haven't watched this one yet. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it yet. Nope. I have not. And, First time. Uh, so, uh, hopefully it's uh, a good one. Well, I, yeah. would, I would think so. You know, watching what I've seen from Buddy Landell in Mid-South, and of course this is uh, 13 years after uh, the first time I saw him in Mid-South, and, and he'd been wrestling since, like, since I think like 79. Um, and... Uh, his Mid-South stuff when he was a kid has been really impressive, and it's been really fun to watch. And I don't know of many Shawn Michaels matches that weren't great. Yeah. Outside well, at of... this point in 1995, Buddy Landell couldn't have been old, so, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this was right around the time that he was um, starting to get his life together, too. I know he there, there was a drug, drug and alcohol uh, problem there. Uh, for some time that he's talked about, you know, whether it's in the books or whether it's in his interviews. But, um, well, let's, let's take a look. So, for those of you who are 
watching along or jumping to YouTube, go ahead and get there. Search for Shawn Michaels or his buddy Landell. We're going to go ahead and hit play here in a second, and your internet connection is probably better than ours, but we will give it a shot here. So three, two, one, hit play. And here we go. So in the, it looks like Buddy Landell has Jim Cornette in his corner, and Sean is out there on his own. So 95, Sean. What, what um, was 95 before Sid? In the WWF. Yeah. Because he would have been shooting down from the WWF at the time, obviously, to be he the champion. there. He might have been there then. Does that have audio? It, no. it does. The audio is not great. I'll see. And I apologize for you. For the folks listening, you might hear a little bit of the audio come through. But um, I'm trying to keep that from happening as much as I can. So th oh, there, there is. Yeah. There's some commentary, but the, this video doesn't have very good quality. No, um, it's not looking the greatest video. The audio is pretty muffled. But you can see him start. Now, now, one of the things, everything that I've seen with Buddy so far, he's had dark hair. This is, I've watched mainly before he had, before he had the Nature Boy Buddy Landell gimmick. So he had dark hair. He was, uh, actually, he still looks like he's in pretty good shape. Yeah, he um, looks pretty good. Yeah. And he's in, you know, red knee pads, black trunks. I mean, if the video quality were a little bit worse, you would almost mistake him for Ric Flair. In yeah, this. And, that, and of hair. course, that's intentional. I mean, it has to be at this point because they did have that that uh, that face off. Nature <laughs> so Sean is trying to shake his hand at the beginning of the match. And then, yeah, and then he pulls away. <laughs> what, a, what a shot. Now they're both doing it. <laughs> no, that was funny. Yeah, they both tried it. They both walked away. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, that, so that referee looks kind of familiar. He he does. Oh, okay, there we go. So Buddy backs him up into the corner after a collar and elbow tie up, and uh, Sean slaps the piss out of Buddy Landell. So now I have to wonder because I didn't watch a lot of Smoky Mountain. So with Jim Cornette as the manager, I would assume that Buddy's the heel in the match, but it's Smoky Mountain. So yeah, it's Cornette's promotion, so maybe he's not. Well, Shawn Michaels was a heel for his whole career, basically. Yeah. Besides the Rockers, even so. yeah, even even when he was a face, he was kind of a heel. <laughs> Where's Cornette? A fucking tennis racket. I love it. And that's the thing, you know. It, it's with, with the uh, oh, here they go. They lock up again. Knee to the midsection. That's right. Right hand. Shawn right goes down. It's gonna be a slobber knocker. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I already saw some slobber flying out of Sean's mouth. I think, and he did, too. Whenever he'd take the big right hand before he'd sell he it, he'd always spit into the air. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, okay, so, okay, reverse Irish whip, and Shawn Michaels goes for the super kick. Buddy Landell slides out of the ring to get away from it, and now he's got to have his little powwow with Jim Cornette. So it was, it, it, it's, it's so funny because, you know, I, I listen to the Cornette podcast. I watch the YouTube clips of this podcast, uh, you know, off and on, too. And even in those instances where I don't agree with him, if I go back and watch him perform, like watch Cornette perform, I love him. Oh, yeah. Right? He was always great. I mean... He was always great. I loved it when he got mad. Oh, my gosh. Like, his, stomping you know, he, up and down. He, it was almost like... You see, like, Joel Gertner took a little bit from him. 
with that full body tantrum. That's <laughs> well, so far, I mean, it looks like they're wrestling that very Southern Territory style match. Yeah, probably fairly slow paced at the beginning. Yeah, so pick it up later on. Got some bear hug action going on. That's right. So yeah, Shawn Michaels got him in the. Uh, okay, so side headlock off the ropes, and we're doing the shoulder block spot. Drop down, leapfrog. Hurricane Rana by Michaels, followed by the fists. Pretty exciting for '95. So okay, so here's something hey, interesting. Buddy Landau, he he's doing the Ric Flair mm -hmm. right now. Everything about what he he's is, doing, the bag he off, everything. The <laughs> Absolutely. Now, one of the interesting things here, did he just, what, did, what did HPK it? just crotch chop to the crowd? I don't know. It'd still be a little early for that. If he did, I missed it. I was kind of wondering what rank Jim Cornette's, uh, his, his military uniform <laughs> he had on there. Well, I, I think if, if Jimmy Hart is the colonel, then Jim Cornette has to at least be the general. Or a rear admiral. <laughs> rear something. Rear admiral. He's, <laughs> he's the captain. The, the rear private. That. <laughs> he's the captain of classic triples. I mean. <laughs> so, actually, I need to go back. I'm hoping that I'll see this. but So, right now in Mid-South, I'm in 82. And Buddy Landell has a bunch of matches there. Shawn Michaels comes in in a few years uh, to Mid-South. And I'm wondering if they cross paths there. Was he there by himself, or was he there with Marty? You know? It was just him. Just him. I don't. E I don't even know if he was Shawn Michaels yet, or I, I. I think he was Shawn Michaels most of his career, but if not all of it. Okay, so we're seeing just sort of the classic Southern wrestling match. There's nothing crazy here. Kind of waiting to see how Buddy Landell's going to get his heat. Yeah. <laughs> HBK kick up over the top rope and take a break. We just kind of lay down and relax. So far, Buddy Landell does remind me a lot of Ric Flair. I mean, I guess even down to the nickname or whatever that they had, they had for him, you know, Nature Boy. Yep, yeah. Nature Boy versus Nature Boy. It definitely shows. Well, and he was, uh, at one point, he was supposed to have a match with Buddy Rogers as well. And The, the Battle of the Buddies. Well, it would have yeah. been, because Buddy <laughs> Rogers, of course, was another Nature Boy. And... Uh, I guess before they had that match, that promotion that they were going to have it folded. Mm. Um, so it would have been just like an indie spot. But Could there be a triple threat? Is there a third buddy? <laughs> how many buddies, how many buddies oh, in wrestling man. are there? That's, that's your quiz, viewers. Let oh, me know sure. how yeah, many buddies in a wrestling third buddy. are. <laughs> a triple threat buddy match. Buddy Roberts. <laughs> buddy Roberts. There we go. Nature boy Buddy Roberts. <laughs> Nature boy Buddy Roberts. Let's do that. All right, so okay, we're doing the the, the back and forth. It's still Shawn Michaels has been, he's sort of been out, outsmarting Landell at every turn. He's playing the face. We're doing the ten punches in the corner. Um, now, if, if Cornette was on commentary, he'd say, "I can't believe these fans can count to ten. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they yes, had to take. They had to take the shoes off. That's right. A bunch of farm accidents out here. Probably didn't even have ten fingers." <laughs> That's his own territory, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure he would say that anyway. He, uh, he would. <laughs> that's, that's what I love. I wish he did more commentary. Okay, they're back to the center of the ring now. It's a stare down. It, it is. It's been, this has been um, very relaxed 
to say the least, I'd say. Okay, lock up in the middle. Landell's finally taking control with a full-arm dragon twist. Dragon. Dragon. Dra- full-arm Ricky Steamboat twist. <laughs> and, uh... All right. So, okay, so while they're... Right now, Landell's got Shawn Michaels on the mat with an arm bar, and while they're doing the... Uh, while he's grabbing that hold, of course, he's working the crowd. But um, right now... Buddy Landell has Jim Cornette as his manager for this event. And as far as Smoky Mountain, I don't know how frequent that was or if they stuck together very often. But uh, Buddy Landell is no stranger to managers. Uh, It seems like he's had almost everybody under the sun in his corner. So it's uh, just a quick list here. Of course, he's he's had uh, Sir William Bill Dundee. Sherry Martell. We've had Scary Sherry. Of Skandar Akbar. I'm wondering if I'll see that in Mid South here coming up pretty soon. Uh, Jim Cornette, like we see here. JJ uh, Dillon, Jimmy Hart. But uh, Don Marie. That one's kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that really caught my attention was Andy Kaufman, is on the list of managers for Buddy Landell. I don't know where the hell that happened. I'm going yeah, to have to like look for it. It had to be. It had to be. I wonder if there was something with Landell and, and, and Lawler with Kaufman in his corner or something there. But Possible. But the Andy Kaufman thing's already happened in 82. You know, and that's when Landell's still a kid and maybe, still in Mid-South. Maybe that was really early in his career or something. It, it might have been. Yeah. I don't know. Because, I mean, it was... Um, there's... Uh, I think it's an early April episode of Mid-South TV that Bill Watts addresses the Andy Kaufman incident. Mm. And while I'm talking about that, Landell still has Shawn Michaels down. Uh, he's got him down by the arm. A, I guess you call it a step over arm bar. I really like the referee's suspenders. Those are something. He actually, like, he kinda, doesn't he kind of look like... He, I thought he looked familiar at the beginning of the match, but I can't place the face. Well, he looks like Randy Anderson with longer hair. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, and, and, and it's not him, but, but if you look at the Smoky Mountain stuff, you see this guy. And and this is where, like some of uh, some of the really hardcore wrestling fans or some of the folks that grew up watching Smoky Mountain, if they're listening, they're screaming at me through their <laughs> through their phone or through their computer, saying, "You fucking asshole! This is his name. It's him." That's me, asshole. <laughs> asshole. <laughs> this is the first Smoky Mountain wrestling thing I believe I have ever watched. Actually, I'm excited to watch more, especially with the Thrill Seekers, and that seems to be the focus of the network content. So even if I didn't want to see it, that's what I'd see. Do you happen to know anything about this event in particular as to where this was just a televised event? Um, did Smoky Mountain Wrestling have pay-per-views? Or was it just live events? Or was it television well, yeah. tapings kind of thing? I don't know a whole lot about Smoky Mountain. Yeah, so I don't know that they did a lot of pay-per-views. Because, I mean, even... I I don't know who they would have done pay per views through, but it does it look seems like it was a relatively major event. It's called the Super Bowl of Wrestling. Yeah, so it had to be something special. But it looks like it, it was just, just like, like a monthly show because before this, you know, just I'm I'm on um, like the Pro Wrestling Wiki right now, and it looks like the previous event was July 21st of this year, and the next one is August 5th. So there's not a whole lot of time lapsing between these shows. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if this was just sort of a, a TV taping that or a special event they put on because they had the crossovers. 
because I mean you've got your NWA heavyweight champion, you've got uh, you know the MTW heavyweight championship up for grabs, you've got the USWA heavyweight championship, you've got the WWF intercontinental. I mean every almost every other match is a it's a title match for a different promotion. Whenever I hear USWA, I think of like meat grating. <laughs> <laughs> That always makes me smile a little bit. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, and this is in... Um, so normally, I mean, Smoky Mountain was mainly... Wasn't it out of Kentucky? Uh, the Smoky Mountains. Yes, it was out of the Smoky Mountains. Um, Obviously. But but I think I think uh, Will Cornette ran out of, out of Kentucky. Unless I'm thinking about a different uh, company that he worked with. But this is out of the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. And that looked like... At least the numbers I have here say we have, they had about 5,000 uh, in attendance, which has got to be pretty good for an independent promotion. Um, yeah. So we're, we're missing some of this match here. Shawn so, Michaels up top. Yeah, so Michaels has sort of regained control since. Uh, the he, elbow drop. Yep, we have a uh, body slam, big elbow drop with Landell kicking out. Um, and he's signaling for sweet chin music. So here he goes. He's tuning up the band in the corner. I certainly hope this isn't the end. No, Landell ducks, ducks it. it. Ducks Michael's ducks. Line. Oh, we've got a schoolboy roll up. The O'Connor roll. Oh, he pulled the tights. No, Landell pulls him back over. Holds the tights. That looked like a three count to me. It did to me too. He must have hit the rope or something. He had maybe. to. The Shawn Michaels takes control coming out. Takes Landell to the corner. Double trunk pull. Irish whip is reversed. And Landell hits the atomic drop on Shawn Michaels. Ref oh, bump. There we go. The ref is down. Ref he is bump. clearly dead. Mr. Suspenders he is, is unconscious. Yes, he is. Somebody get that man new suspenders. Here comes Jim Cornette. Tries to well, hit Michaels with the chop him with it. With <laughs> the tennis racket. And Shawn Michaels kips up to dodge the tennis racket. And now Cornette, in his army fatigues, is begging off of Shawn Michaels. Cornette off the ropes, takes a right hand, huge wow. bump by Cornette, and rolls out of the I ring. I love really it. Good. Would you like to see Vince oh, McMahon man. sell something like that? Right? Oh, oh, DDT oh. by Buddy Landell. And the ref is still down, so there can't be a cover. Big elbow by Landell. He hooks the leg. The ref is still dead. Oh, wait, he's up. One, two... Three. No, no, no. Yes. No. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Where's Vince McMahon? No. Oh, the referee picks up the tennis racket, and we do not have a three count. He's asking Buddy what happened. Why is the tennis racket in the ring? As Jesse Ventura would say, he didn't see anybody get hit with the tennis racket. He can't call it. Oh, here we go. Yeah, Shawn Michaels hits the sweet chin music, takes down Landell for the three count, and that is the end. More spitting. So Shawn Michaels retains the WWF Intercontinental Championship, still with the old white. Yes, yes. Jim Cornette comes back into the ring to check on Landell, and that is the end of our match. Jeff, what did you think? Not too bad. Not too bad. That's the uh, first Buddy Landell match that I can remember seeing, I guess, now. Um, Yeah, I was pretty impressed. You know, it's it's, and I know we kind of poked fun at it on our here, but they did some of those those like funnier southern spots that I always I always enjoy. Oh yeah, that's that's just the time period. Sure, kind of that, uh, that they're in. So There's nothing wrong with that. I like classic wrestling. You know, if if I were to watch this 
immediately after watching some of the other matches on our on my list here. And uh, for example, I, I've got on here um, Kenny Omega against uh, Okada at the G1 Climax 27. That was, you know, of course, Dave Meltzer gave it 6,000 um, uh, stars, I think it was. That's a lot. That's a lot of stars. That's, a lot that's of like, stars. It's like a solar system. That's, and that's, Wrestling's <laughs> over then. It's, it's, it's all it's, the stars you're ever going to get. That's it. You can't get any more stars. And, uh, and of course, I make fun of Dave Meltzer, who's done more for the business than I will ever do. But, um, you know, if I were to watch this after something like that, that's lauded even by people who don't necessarily care for the New Japan style of wrestling or the Kenny Omega style of wrestling, this would seem hokey. If that's what they're used to seeing. Right. Um, so That style of wrestling, yeah, if they were to go back and watch something like this without uh, having appreciated it in the past, they probably would not like it very much. But... But like you said, as as you know, we grew up watching, you know, the ten minute headlocks. You know, we well, we watched it wasn't quite ten minutes. No, no, but we, five you know, minutes, right? Five and a half, five and a half, and or you know, we we watched, you know, we watched Hulk Hogan hold Ultimate Warrior's arms out to the side while he's sitting on his ass as if it's a submission hold. I mean, these yeah. things they have a different meaning to some of the fans that grew up watching. Can he get out of the bear hug? Right? Oh, Can he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and. This was fun. It wasn't serious. I mean, clearly Shawn Michaels wasn't going to lose the WWF Intercontinental Championship in a, yeah. on a Smoky Mountain show. Pretty much impossible. And Buddy kept up with him. I mean, th th this wasn't the WrestleMania 10 ladder match. This wasn't the WrestleMania 12 Iron Man match. Yeah, but it also wasn't Shawn Michaels wrestling like some old man or who right. couldn't, uh, couldn't work. I mean, they were, they were evenly matched, I would mm -hmm. say. Absolutely. So... I, this was fun. I, I think this this was worth the watch. Um, I was concerned because I hadn't seen it at first that, that this might be just, you know, a train like, wreck. <laughs> well, right. You see you see names on a card and you think, oh, this will be great. And then you find out it's a three minute schmoz or it's a, you know, that happens with some matches. Oh, and, and it, it, yeah, and especially it looks, the matches that look good on paper, and then once mm -hmm. they occur, it's like, oh, that was not a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, well, well, this was great. So. Um, I'm enjoying this. I'm actually, I'm going to start watching a little bit more Smoky Mountain on the side, outside of what's on the WWE Network, if I can find it. Um, because I know there was a Jim Cornette faction. That that camo, there's a purpose behind that. Um, he wasn't just trying to hide. No, no, he wasn't trying to be hard to see. But, uh, you know, what, what makes a good match? You know, a good match makes you want to watch more wrestling, right? So I, I definitely right. So I definitely want to watch more Smoky Mountain, and of course, whenever I get the itch, I'm going to go back and watch more uh, WWE, uh, WWF from even from the new generation from the rebuilding, because I still think it's fun. Maybe they'll have the Super Bowl of wrestling on there sometime. That would on be nice. So watch so, the rest of the show. So Vince, Vince, I know you're listening. We've what been a maneuver. We we've been close, personal friends, for decades now. And um, it would mean a lot to me if you could put the full Smoky Mountain Library on there and put Jim Cornette on retainer for the WWE. You know, nothing outrageous, maybe four or five million dollars a year just for fun, you know, enough so that he never has to drive more than a mile to get a Wendy's Classic Triple. Can we do that, please? That sounds like a great idea. What, what would he get on that? Do you know? Uh, probably double mayo. 
Double, double, do you think you get double onions? Double cheese, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you watching along with me. Hey, anytime. It was fun. And uh, we're going to keep times. going. Yeah, we're de well, I'm definitely going to keep going with these. You're always welcome to join me with these matches. The next one is going to be uh, with William Regal or, or Steve Regal, because that's how we watched him. Was Lord Stephen Regal. Lord Stephen Regal. And this is the WCW Uncensored 96 match versus Fit Finley. And they called him the Belfast Bruiser. And I think back then, didn't he have like the shoulder pad and the long hair? I think so. I know yeah. I've seen that match in the past probably twice. And I think you're right there. And I don't I don't remember if this one's a bloodbath, but I remember that it I doubt it because it's WCW. And uh yeah, in the is mid nineties. The one I'm thinking of is this the one where they're like they take it outside the building and all kinds of stuff? Or am I thinking of a different match? Uh, it might be. I, I what I remember about that match is that it was stiff, like yeah, brutally stiff. Uh, and I, I'm to the point where when I watched it, you know, it, well, I would have watched it in what '97 when the VHS was out. We would have probably, it at the video yeah, store. I remember wincing, like sitting on my couch, kind of jerking back, watching how hard they were hitting each other. But that's going to be our next match. And um, if there are any others that you'd like us to see, let me know. I'm on Twitter at zero. Jeff, would you like to throw out your Twitter handle? Nah, I'm good. <laughs> Very good. But I follow you anyway, so. That's right. I'll, uh, but uh, I'll see shoot. You no matter what. Shoot me a follow, and also while you're at it, check out Steel Post Media. That's at Steel Post Media, and Dallas Barnes at All Wrestling 420. And uh, with that being said, we'll jump right back to this Market of Zero podcast. All right, and there we go. I hope you guys enjoyed that match as much as I did. It wasn't it, it wasn't as serious as I think uh, some of the matches will become on this show but uh, but it was a lot of fun the card was actually really surprising uh, and I'd, I'd like to if it ever hits the network i'd like to go back and actually see the full event uh, but uh let me know what you think if you like how this went if you like the watch along format let me know at smart at a zero uh otherwise i'll be doing uh, different approaches to each match depending on who i can find who wants to talk about it with me and it might just be good old me um, so with that, let's jump on to this week's Mid-South Wrestling television episode. We're looking at the May 1st, 1982 airing. If you remember last week, we had a series of really unique matchups. Uh, we had Paul Orndorff taking on Larry Higgins, where Paul Orndorff was the undersized babyface who fired up a bit after a botched power slam on Higgins. We had Iron Mike Sh Sharp dominating Ron Cheatham in a quick squash match. Wendy Richter taking on Velvet McIntyre in a fast-paced back-and-forth affair. Bob Roop and Tully Blanchard teaming up to take on Coco Samoa and Buddy Landell in a tag team match that would hold water against any of the tag team matches today, I firmly believe. The Assassin taking on Terry Gibbs, where the Assassin showed just how little he could do in the ring and still get crowd heat. The Wild Samoans and the One Man Gang teaming up to take on JYD, Dick Murdoch, and Mr. Olympia in what can only be called a TV time closing Donnybrook. Um, this week, we actually we have some exciting debuts. We have a return, and we have a continuation of the Skandar Akbar domination, if you will, of Mid-South Wrestling. So the card today is, uh, again, we're on the May 1st, 1982 edition. 
Uh, we're going to open the show with Jim Duggan and Skandar Akbar. We'll have Tony Torres taking on the Assassin. Big Cat Ernie Ladd against Larry Higgins. Ted DiBiase returning to Mid-South TV against Bob Roop. Dick Murdoch taking on Jim Duggan. Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia teaming up to take on Bruiser Bob Sweetan and Ken Wayne. Coco Samoa going up against the One Man Gang. And finally, to close the show, Buddy Landell taking on the Grappler. We're welcomed this week again by the legendary Boyd Pierce. He's accompanied this week by Cowboy Bill Watts. And they introduce Charlie Lay as the president of Mid-South Wrestling. Now, Bill Watts is spending a lot of time at the beginning putting over the young and hungry talent in Mid-South Wrestling. And you'd expect that he would. Uh, and what, what I notice is, is he, he really comes off as a genuinely nice guy which is really funny, and I can probably hear a few of you laughing at your at your computers right now, when you hear folks talk about the actual man, Bill Watts. I think it was just this past week, or maybe the week before, Eric Bischoff on 83 Weeks flat out called him a dick and implicated him in nearly killing WCW just by how many bridges Watts burned over at Turner before he left. Uh, they throw to Skandar, introducing Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who's wearing a fur coat looking like a simpleton. And when I say that, I mean he's he's got the goofy, off-centered lips. His eye is crossed. He's looking around like he's lost in a, in a house of mirrors. Um, <laughs> you know, mouth agape. I mean, he, he looks like a shaved monkey. And I can't decide whether he's the whether he's Jim Nord as the berserker before his time or whether he's trying to be Bruiser Brody. Uh, so they finish the interview. They don't really say much. They just, they're just sort of setting up the match with uh, Murdoch later on. And we throw to our first match, which is Tony Torres taking on the Assassin. So the Assassin is on the mic before the match. He's uh, recapping what happened with Ernie Ladd. And the bell rings, and he just keeps on talking. So Torres tries to sneak up behind him, get a roll-up. Uh, and the Assassin breaks the pin attempt and opens a can on him. Uh, and I've, I've already seen in the first 30 seconds more offense from the Assassin, a more varied offense, if you will, than I did in the entire match last week, which was essentially a series of, of uh, side headlock takedowns. Uh, the Assassin is working this week mainly with knee lifts and knee drops, ends up uh, hitting the big headbutt on Tony Torres to end the match in about a minute and 49 seconds. So quick squash, and uh, there were a few spots where, uh, where the Assassin is moving pretty quickly with some rollover takedowns, was pretty impressive because the assassin is not a small guy by any means. In true Mid-South fashion, they immediately throw us to the second match, which is the big cat Ernie Ladd taking on the monstrous Larry Higgins. Now, this looks really interesting from the start because I forgot how big Ernie Ladd is. Where Larry Higgins has been dwarfing his opponents for the last three, four weeks, the cat is bigger. <laughs> Ernie Ladd is bigger than Larry Higgins, and he is steamrolling Higgins hard. Big knife edge chops, big bear hugs. He's backing him up into the corner, hits a standing bicycle kick. Um, <laughs> finally, a big headbutt by, by Ernie Ladd, and Higgins drops like a sequoia tree. And and I, I mean that in that he stands straight up. You could have heard somebody yell timber in the crowd, and he just falls flat on his back. <laughs> Ladd hits a big boot off the ropes, standing leg drop to end the match, and even though Higgins isn't racking up in any wins by any means over the past several weeks, he's never been treated like a pure jobber in a match that I've seen until this one. 
So pretty clear by the end of this match that Ernie Ladd is still a bad motherfucker. So the winner of the match, Big Cat Ernie Ladd in dominating fashion with a leaping leg drop in a minute 47. Uh, we jump into the setup for match three, which is the returning Ted DiBiase uh, taking on Bob Roop in a non-title match. Uh, like I said, it was six weeks ago that uh, uh, DiBiase was taken out and uh, by One Man Gang and by Akbar and by Bob Roop. And they throw back and they show a good portion of that match from back in March. One thing I didn't notice before during this replay is that at the end of the match, when Bob Roop is supposed to be applying the figure four leg lock to get the win on the passed out Ted DiBiase, he does it incorrectly. And you can tell he's in a hurry. Uh, instead of tucking DiBiase's, DiBiase's right leg under, uh, over his left leg for the figure four, he tucks it underneath his right leg and uh, turns it into sort of a, I don't, know if, I don't know if you'd call it a grapevine or what it would be, but certainly not a figure four leg lock. He knows he's got it on wrong, and he's got and he has to sell it with his face, and he does a pretty good job of that. Uh, Roop and DiBiase start their match off on this TV episode with Roop running and ducking to avoid DiBiase at every turn. Uh, these two go back and forth. Roop goes for the single leg. DiBiase reverses it into a hip toss and a short arm scissor, uh, followed by repeated knee drops on the left arm of Bob Roop. Um, DiBiase takes him into a standing arm bar. And a full arm dragon twist. Uh, Roop has to break it up by going to the eyes, and DiBiase comes right back with a big scoop slam and a series of standing elbow drops, and right back to Roop's arm. I uh, locks him down with a hammerlock and a, uh, a hammerlock drop and a hold. Uh, Roop sits up, slowly gets back to his feet, backs DiBiase into the corner, which would break the hammerlock uh, with the five count. Uh, but he doesn't wait that long. Roop starts throwing the back elbows to get away. And he and Roop tries to pull DiBiase out of the corner. DiBiase tugs on that left arm again and sends Roop down to the mat. Right back into the, the, the leg drops on his arm. Another hammerlock, hammerlock drop. And Roop is backing away, holding his arm. Ducks into the ropes to bag off. So uh, very hot start for DiBiase. Very focused start on the left arm. And Roop is selling it the entire time. You don't see him, you know, kind of stumbling around like he's worn out, like you see a lot of times in the matches today. He is clearly holding the arm, and he is, you know, he's telling a story that DiBiase is destroying this left arm of his. Uh, as Roop comes back into the ring out of the ropes, there's a collar and elbow tie-up, tie followed by an attack to the knee on DiBiase. DiBiase's down, he's holding the knee, and keep in mind, this is the knee that was injured by One Man Gang and Bob Roop when Roop stole the North American Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Roop with a step over toehold to keep that knee, uh, keep that offense on the knee. Uh, DiBiase ends up, it's actually a pretty neat break. DiBiase's trying to grab Roop's left arm, the same arm he's been working on the entire match, to help break the hold and does and goes right back with a chain of leg drops on that left arm. So it's actually pretty neat. They're setting up this nice game of chess where it's, you know, anytime DiBiase has a chance at offense, he goes straight for that left arm. Every time Roop has a chance for offense, now he's going straight for that left knee. And uh, that's what they're using to reverse holds. That's what they're using to get the momentum back in their favor. So it's not just punch, 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 kick stunner. 
It's, you know, there's an actual method to this, and they're telling a story with two body parts. Um, you know, DiBiase does end up, they do end up trading some right hands uh, towards the end of the match. Uh, Rube hits a double leg takedown on DiBiase, pulls his legs to the outside, and DiBiase's knee is slammed into the apron hard. Rube goes through the figure four leg lock. DiBiase rolls through and kicks out of it. Series of rights followed by a back elbow, and DiBiase is starting to do that classic babyface fire up, and the crowd is behind him. Big power slam by Ted DiBiase for a clean three count on the North American Heavyweight Champion in this non-title match. And after the match, Rube tries to get a, get the jump on DiBiase, and DiBiase drops him with his own shoulder breaker and leaves him laying in the ring. So your winner in seven minutes and four seconds with a power slam, Ted DiBiase. So that was actually that was a lot of fun. Uh, you don't get very many long, longer matches, I should say. And when you have 40 minutes of time, a seven-minute match is a considerable amount of time. Uh, so these two, they they went back and forth. They told they told a really fun story, and they didn't let you get bored with anything they were doing. So uh, certainly a match to go back and check out if you haven't seen this episode. And true to form for Mid-South Wrestling, we jump right into match four, with which is the Redneck Marine Dick Murdoch taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This is Duggan's debut match with Mid-South Wrestling. Now, he's uh, he's in the ring. Before Murdoch comes out, he's stomping like a maniac, still wearing his fur coat. Like I said before, I'm not sure if he's trying to be Bruiser Brody or what the deal is there, but he's actually pretty damn intimidating, and he's in pretty good shape. You can tell he's a lot younger. Um, you hear the Marine Corps hymn start playing. Murdoch comes out carrying his gunny sack there. Uh, Duggan jumps the bell and puts Murdoch in the corner with shoulder blocks and a big hip toss. And from there, this match goes crazy. It's just back and forth. Punches, eye gouges, elbows, knee drops, and we, we just have a straight-out brawl. And then in the middle of it all, out of nowhere, Jim Duggan grabs an arm bar, which <laughs> I know it's meant to slow the match down, but I, I laughed out loud because it was... I, to me, it would... It would it's like in the, the old Looney Tunes when, uh, when the coyote and the sheepdog would be battling back and forth and, and they'd be trying to knock the shit out of each other. Then all of a sudden the whistle hits at the end of the day and they both stop immediately with what they're doing and walk back to the clock to punch out. And it was just that, that change in action there that really cracked me up. But, uh, you know, they weren't going to be able to be trading punches like that for the entire time. So it, I, I get why. It just it made me laugh. <laughs> uh, Murdoch finally takes Duggan down with a single leg followed by some knees and elbows to Hacksaw's left knee. Uh, Duggan goes to the eyes, and Murdoch is right back in trouble again. Uh, Duggan gets in something that I know we've all seen later on in his career, jumps in a three-point stance, charges at Murdoch, misses the big shoulder block, and Murdoch picks up Jim Duggan in a stalling brain buster, which I was like, this was pretty damn impressive. You know, Duggan is a big guy. I mean, you remember you watched... Later in his career, Jim Duggan had a feud with Andre the Giant, and Andre didn't really dwarf him like he did so many other talents. So Murdoch hoisting Duggan up and holding that vertical suplex hold before hitting the Brain Buster is pretty impressive. Murdoch does not go for the pin. Instead, he runs over to his, his, uh, his sack, which is hanging on the ring post, and gets his trenching tool out and goes after Admiral Akbar. Now, this is... We hit this Benny Hill-like sequence where Akbar's running from Murdoch. Murdoch's got the trenching tool. Akbar's in the ring. 
Murdoch is in the ring. They drop the trenching tool. They dive for the trenching tool. And finally, at the end of the match, there is a fight for the to- for the for the spade. Murdoch nails Duggan right in front of the referee. <laughs> the ref, instead of calling for the DQ, counts the three on Duggan. Duggan loses his debut match, and Murdoch gets the win in five minutes one second with a hit with the Marine entrenching tool. <laughs> this is okay. I I think it's it's fair to say that I try to look on the bright side of almost everything when it comes to wrestling. You know, I've defended some modern matches that probably weren't as good as I like to think they are. I enjoyed Backlash, which was certainly worthy of criticism. But I just, I tend to focus on the good things about the show and try to appreciate those, you know, those things rather than, rather than really focus on what doesn't make sense. And for me, it just makes it more enjoy, more enjoyable as a fan to watch the product. But with this, at the beginning of the episode, of Mid-South TV today. Bill Watts and and, uh, and Pierce are discussing the rules in Mid-South Wrestling and how important it is that folks are following the rules and that, uh, and they specifically mentioned Dusty Rhodes being fined for, for being goaded into a match or goaded into a fight where he got beat down and then fined $2,500 when he was supposed to be staying at the announce table. Well, going from that... You know, that conversation at the beginning of the show, which was several minutes, to this, where Dick Murdoch gets a win after nailing Duggan with the trenching tool, made no fucking sense. And uh, <laughs> I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't criticize it. I don't get why you would have Duggan lose his debut match. It's not like Dick Murdoch would be hurt by losing to one of uh, Akbar's army especially if they did so through nefarious deeds or, you know, uh, you know, by hook or by crook, right? So, made no sense to me whatsoever. I thought the ending was stupid. I thought it was... From my perspective, it seemed very self-serving for Murdoch, and I may be out of line there because I don't know what was going on behind the curtain. But, you know, why the hell wouldn't you put Duggan over even if it's Duggan who nails Murdoch with the trenching tool for the win behind the referee's back. So this one didn't make any sense to me. Kind of a throwaway, and I guess we'll see what Duggan has coming up in the future. But as as a fan, I didn't walk away from this match thinking that, that Jim Duggan was going to be anything special. And uh, you know, if, if you take away your modern-day knowledge of what his career turned into... I wonder if some of the fans watching the show then thought the same thing. So we'll leave that as it is, but certainly not my favorite match of the night. Match number five, we've got Junkyard Dog teaming with Mr. Olympia once again to take on Bruiser Bob Sweetan and Ken Wayne. Now, it was uh, it's kind of neat how timing works out because I was just listening to uh, the Hardcore Holly episode of Something to Wrestle with uh, Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson, and that was, what, I think a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. And one of the folks that um, Bob Holly was trained by was apparently Bruiser Bob Sweetan. And I don't know a whole lot about him. It was funny listening to Bruce talk about how much he really didn't care for the guy and how he smelled bad. But uh, then all of a sudden to see him turn up on Mid-South TV, uh, it was kind of a nice timing piece. Ken Wayne, and I, I, I'm going to get... I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a jackass for a little bit. 
Ken Wayne looks like a redneck Siegfried with his little black cape. I mean, he's short. His his bleach blonde hair is taller than he is. And he's wearing, like I said, that stupid little black cape. The only thing he's missing is a white tiger with maybe one tooth. <laughs> and, you know, he, he just he does not look like he belongs. Sweet Tan looks like he could be a real badass. And, of course, Mr. Olympia looks like an Olympian. And JYD, you know, he's still rocking a six-pack back then. I mean, he's a fit, big, tough bastard. And uh, this match... Not great. <laughs> I mean, can I just, I just put that out there and be blunt? I, you know, Olympia starts, uh, Olympia starts off the match against Ken Wayne, uh, hits some huge elevation hip tosses on both Wayne and Sweetan before tagging in JYD. Uh, Wayne tags in Sweetan, he squares up with JYD, big scoop slam on Sweetan, followed by a double team. Wayne tags back in, you see more of the same. Uh, out of nowhere, for some reason, Mr. Olympia locks a sleeper hold on Wayne, lets it go, locks one on Sweet Ann, and then turns around and drops an elbow on Ken Wayne for the three count. Made absolutely no sense. I, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm looking at it through modern day glasses, maybe I'm in a pissy mood, I don't know. But this match was, it, it was nothing. It wasn't even a true enhancement match where it, it you know, if you think about the enhancement matches you saw, even with uh, bigger name stars in the WWF and later on, whether it was Landell or Sharp or anybody like that, there'd be a short story told, whether it was abject domination or whether it was the the smaller baby face uh, giving up control for a while and making the comeback. Even though you knew the person was going to win, they told the story on how they were going to win. In this match, there was nothing like that. It was plain and simple. It appeared to be just an opportunity to push Olympia and JYD out in front of the live crowd, get them out of there as soon as possible so they can get their payday and go home <laughs> or get to the next town. And um, it's actually getting a little frustrating because this is the JYD that I've always wanted to see. You know, this young, trim fit, uh, you know, the guy that that took uh, a one-man gang over the top rope last week on, on TV. And... Uh, you know, week after week now, you get Junkyard Dog, but you can count on him either being in a tag match or in an, or in an end of the episode schmoz. You don't get to see him in any sort of prolonged contest, and it, it's it's just a little frustrating. And uh, I think if I had been maybe living in the territory back then, or I would have had the opportunity to see some of the live shows, it wouldn't be so bad because you'd have the opportunity to see him. But a lot of those live shows, there's no footage of. And if you guys have a line on some of the footage from the live shows that have these matches where you could see a young JYD, let me know. I'd love to watch them. But uh, this match ends in two minutes, four seconds with an elbow drop out of nowhere that made no sense. So uncharacteristically for the episodes of Mid-South TV that I have seen over the past, you know, I think we're going on, what, two months? Um... Uh, Two matches that I would really call stinkers, back-to-back. Um, match six, Coco Samoa taking on the one-man gang. One-man gang is at 454 pounds, making the shorter-than-average Coco Samoa look even smaller. I think Coco's giving up something like 200-plus pounds in this match, and I didn't expect much 
as One Man Gang hasn't done much as far as selling anything with the exception of that tag match last week with JYD. But uh, Coco is working his ass off. He's sprinting around the ring. He's trying to attack One Man Gang, whether it's a jumping shoulder block, whether it's a flying chop, and One Man Gang is selling nothing, which makes sense. You know, I mean, he's huge. He's He looks like he's got three feet of height and 200 pounds on the guy. You know, it, it, it's not like a right hand is going to do a whole lot to him necessarily. Uh, when Gang does catch him, they do that... Uh, I, I like to call it the... Uh, the Ninja Turtles versus the Toka and Rezar fight, where it's, you know, Ganga catch him, catch Coco, slam him down, go for a big stomp or go for an elbow, and Coco would roll out of the way and start running again just to get caught and dropped shortly thereafter. So you see him working his working his ass off. He's not really hitting any offense, but he's trying to dodge as much of one man Gang's offense as he can. And uh, finally... Gang picks him up, big body slam, big avalanche body splash, and this one is over. So the match itself only goes about a minute, 57 seconds, and of course one-man gang again with the win with an avalanche splash. And this takes us to the final match of the evening, Buddy Landell taking on the grappler. We've got TV time remaining, which is only about five minutes, if that. And uh, we haven't seen the grappler in about a month, if I remember correctly. So Grappler and Landell, they trade takedowns until the Grappler hits a stiff lariat. Uh, grappler misses a headbutt splash, and Landell takes him down with a shoulder block. Grappler goes low with the forearm to regain control and sends Landell off the ropes with a double forearm shot to the chest. Uh, grappler takes firm control from here, repeated elbows to the back of Landell's head. Buddy finally ducks a clothesline, hits a crossbody for a two count. A few standing drop kicks on the Grappler followed by an attempted standing side suplex. Uh, Grappler blocks the suplex, hits what actually turns out to be a pretty brutal-looking spinning neckbreaker. And the reason is, uh, normally when you see a neckbreaker, they, this, uh, this may not make sense, but it seems like they turn to the left. You know, you've got your opponent in your right arm, you know, yeah, you've got his head locked up in your right arm, and you sort of turn to the left to roll him over and drop him. Well, here, they went the other way, so... Landell's head actually had to go around and over the grappler's body before the neckbreaker hit. And for some reason, it just made it look, I don't know if it was a miscue or if that was very intentional. It wouldn't surprise me that the grappler would, uh, would have the skill to do something like that and make it look good because it looks great. And uh, grappler gets the win. So we actually get a match finished at the end of the episode rather than a time limit draw or a schmoz and a no contest. Nice change of pace. The match itself was rushed, and I get that's out of necessity. Not enough time to really do anything remarkable, but a much better match than the than the JYD match. Uh, you know, and of course, a lot better than the Dick Murdoch Jim Duggan match as well, even with only two minutes and nineteen seconds. So that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Smart to Zero podcast, The Mid South Files. Let me know if you're enjoying the Mid-South series or if there's something additional you'd like me to cover. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at SmartKidAZero. I'd love to add a weekly watch-along, whether it's Sunday Night Heat, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Global Championship, anything like that. I'm, just, I'm looking to watch more wrestling and talk about more wrestling. And I'm actually looking to expand my streaming content. 
So right now I use YouTube mainly and I use the WWE Network and I've been going back and forth, you know, is it worth the money to subscribe to New Japan World? Should I go GWN instead? Let me know your thoughts. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. Uh, I know it's going to be one of the two, if not both. And uh, don't forget to follow our friends Dallas Barnes at All Wrestling 420 and Oz Marley with Steel Post Media at Steel Post Media. We will be continuing on with the Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, next week is the TV episode from May 8th, 1982. And we will see an interview with Bob Roop and Ted DiBiase. We're going to see Dick Murdoch take on Larry Higgins. North American champion Bob Roop taking on Buddy Landell. Mississippi heavyweight champion Mr. Olympia taking on Ken Wayne. Big Cat Ernie Ladd teaming with Iron Mike Sharp to take on the Assassin and the One Man Gang. Louisiana heavyweight champion Junkyard Dog taking on Big Bruiser Bob Sweetan. And see, I just bitched about JYD not having a singles match that was in the middle of the show and might amount to something, and hopefully we'll have that next week. Uh, Rick Ferreira versus Ron Cheatham. And Jim Duggan teaming with the Grappler to take on Jesse Barr and Coco Samoa to close the show. So, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to me. It means a great deal that you take the time to do that. Uh, I do this out of my own spare time, which I assure you is not plentiful with, with three kids all under the age of seven. <laughs> but I do this because I love wrestling. And I've loved wrestling for 30 plus years. And it's, it's, there are so many wrestling podcasts out there and there are so many really good ones. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to get bogged down. Sometimes it's easy to think, well, gosh, there are so many, so many of them out there, you know, are we getting the listeners? Are we, are we really reaching anybody? And then you look at the, uh, the listener numbers and even if it's an off week, you think, gosh, you know, there are a couple hundred people even that went to the page, listened to the episode, and if any of you were given any sort of spark of interest in a superstar that you didn't know about before or in a match you hadn't seen before, well, then it, it, it's, it's worth it. And so this is my way of giving back to the wrestling superstars and the companies that I've watched for 30 years and the companies that I'm just starting to dig into now. Uh, so... Don't forget to support your local wrestling and combat sports promotions. Support your internet wrestling community and be kind. I've been your host, Alex Fanebecker, and we'll see you next time right here on the Smart Get to Zero podcast. Mm-hmm.